This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. This week's reading, if you'd like to open your Bibles to John 13, 12 through 15. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) I had, um, yeah, so lots of the dudes are gone. We have main camp this weekend. I had a super great time. it's funny that the first thing Levi asked me is if I slept enough. The answer for man camp is always no. Um, but but I did get to sleep in Tim Thomas's like driving condo. So I had like a my own uh, foam mattress and every hit a fri- he has a refrigerator in that thing now. So now our, all our meat is stored in a refrigerator. So if you get a chance to thank Tim Thomas, he helped us a lot with the coordinating. And by helped us a lot, I mean, he did everything. It was probably the most organized man camp that we've ever had. Um, also, thanks to Garrett, he took time to lead us in Philippians, and we talked about rejoicing in the Lord. So it, all around, it was a joy. It's one of my one of my favorite events that we do. And I kind of feel bad that the ladies didn't get to do the, the women's retreat, because I know that's a lot of fun for them. So we're excited to plan that for next year. Yeah. <laughs> They, Bridget was bumming that that it didn't get to happen this week. So, um, like Caitlin said, we have a, a, a pastor from Oklahoma City helping us kick off our series, re-kick off our series on race, justice, and the gospel. Um, Lee Rowland's also a friend of Garrett's. I had a really fun conversation with him. I'm just kind of a guy I'm just like really looking forward to hanging out with. Um, we're, we're sort of figuring out a way to do a Q&A. He really wanted to do a Q&A and just be able to talk with us about some of the things that are going on. Um, and this is kind of his thing. Uh, he's actually the uh, director of diversity and inclusion at the largest school district in Oklahoma City and is a pretty busy speaker and is kind of just doing a favor for us uh, to come out here. So I'm pretty excited to chit chat with him. And I think it'll be cool uh, to just have some conversation with someone. Uh, It's a black brother who served in a lot of predominantly white cultures and has grown up in Oklahoma City, um, which which also has issues with race. So I feel like it'd be a really good opportunity to just ask someone some good questions, uh, to hear what he has to say, and just for all of us to learn from someone who's older and wiser and more experienced in this regard from us. So we're, I really am looking forward to that. I think he's going to be a lot of joy for us. So today is our second half of our quick little two-part series on vision and mission of Emmaus. And this is something that we've been, at least as the elders, we've been thinking about for a while. But I thought it would be good in light of the changes and some of the struggles over the last month to stop and at least take a couple of sermons to talk about why are we Emmaus? Like, why are we a community at all? And so last week we talked about the vision to see Denver transformed by the gospel. And this week we're taking some time to talk about our mission. And this idea of vision and mission are really two kind of fundamental parts of what it means to be a member of Emmaus. And I thought man camp was a great illustration for how important it is to have both a vision and a mission. Like, 
the vision of man camp is to have fun together, to relax, to be refreshed by enjoying a beautiful campsite, uh, hiking, biking, all the fun of just kind of sitting around the fire with enjoying each other's company and taking in scripture together. That's sort of like the postcard vision of man camp that we sell. The issue is if you don't, if you don't have a clear vision or if you have a clear vision and you don't have a clear mission, then no matter what your vision looks like, things can very quickly and very easily break down. So if you don't have a clear mission to go with your vision, then things can easily break down. Just a couple of totally random examples from Man Camp. Um, if you have that clear vision, but there's not a clear mission, you could have like an elder who knows nothing about camping, uh, not give clear directions, not check the weather, not even get enough sleeping bags for everyone so that you have to sleep in the mountains in September uh, with blankets that you just sort of rummage through and found in people's cars. You know, totally, totally random example of what could go wrong. There's no reason to make any application to last year on that one. Uh, another kind of random example of how you can ruin that, that vision of relaxation in man camp. Uh, you could decide to blaze your own in the mountains and turn a three-hour hike into a 12-hour hike. And if just, if something like that were to happen and you didn't bring enough water, it's possible situation to have a brand new member of Emmaus so seriously dehydrated that you're, you're honestly considering taking that person to get medical help. Um, so just, you know, just another random example of what could possibly go wrong at man camp. Uh, there's no reason to make any, any specific application there. Uh, the, the point is that without Tim Thomas's, I mean, without a clear mission, Without a clear mission, you can have the best vision of fun and relaxation in the mountains, but without a clear mission, a clear way to kind of get to that vision, things can go seriously wrong. And the same goes for Emmaus. Last week, we talked about our wonderful vision to see more love, more joy, more peace, more real transformation that comes from the beauty of the gospel. But we can't stop there. We need a way to get that. We need a clear mission so we don't end up with the church equivalent of mountain camping without a sleeping bag or risking our lives on what would normally be a three-hour hike. And the reality is we're not really talking about ruining a weekend in the mountains. We're talking about the eternal plan of the creator God of the universe to rescue his people and completely transform existence as we know it. We need a clear mission for that. And I think about the weight, I think about the weight of our vision and what God is doing. And I look at our mission statement and it makes me a little bit nervous. Like if the mission of God's people is that important, who are we to say how that should work? Why should the mission of Emmaus be something that you give really any weight to? Because if the mission of God's people has eternal consequences, if it is so important, why should you and I follow the mission of Emmaus? Why should you and I desire to fill the city with gospel communities who make disciples by making much of Jesus? I feel like that's a real question. The answer is 
that we don't have to come up with this mission on our own. God has been on mission and has a specific mission for his people. Jesus has actually given us specific direction to see real transformation in this world, so you don't have to rely on Emmaus. But we do, we do have to really understand what is the mission of God so that we can all be united in following his process, following God's mission to see real transformation in his world. Because at the end of the day, as leaders, as a church, we only want you to follow us as we follow Jesus. And we believe that the mission of Emmaus is the mission of Jesus. And that mission centers around Jesus's command for us to be and make disciples. Discipleship is how God brings transformation. Discipleship is the mission that Jesus has given us to see Denver transformed by the beauty of the gospel. God's mission is for us to be and to make disciples. So I feel like talking to a few of you guys, when, when you hear that word disciple or discipleship, there's probably a handful of things kind of swirling around in our minds, depending on our background. You know, I grew up in churches where discipleship was basically just telling people to get baptized, commit their life to Jesus. And, you know, if you already did that part, then they had a, a class or a program, a discipleship program that you signed up for. So we just go knock on doors. We get people to commit their life to Jesus. We sign up for classes at church. Done. We have made disciples. Is that the mission of God? Is that how we accomplish the vision to see Denver transformed by the beauty of the gospel? Another way kind of over the years that I've seen people have talked about discipleship is this idea of living life on life. And I can still picture the trendy YouTube video from like 2013 that was circulating at the time, just sort of panning over two people like laughing while they're doing laundry together, doing life on life. And you can't, you can't just talk to people about Jesus. Discipleship is living life on life. So is that the mission of God? Is that God's process to see Denver transformed? And lately it's actually looked a little bit different. Now, if we're gonna be real disciples, we have to be making a difference in the world. God didn't change us by the gospel so we could just live life together. God changes us by the gospel so that we could see things improve around us. Discipleship is leaning into that community garden or mentoring kids in a less privileged neighborhood or, or real disciples ensure that justice happens. Is that the mission of God? Is that how we accomplish the vision to see Denver transformed by the beauty of the gospel? And I'm sure some of this, you can see it on your faces, resonates with, with you. But I bet a couple of you are wondering where I'm going with this. Like, which, which one of these things is it? I mean, if it's all of them, we got to start knocking on doors, doing people's laundry, figuring out how I fix broken systems in Denver. We really have kind of a lot to do. And if it's, if it's something else, then it doesn't seem like this idea of discipleship really clarifies the mission of God or the mission of Emmaus. Even if we believe discipleship is central to God's mission in the world, if we're not on the same page, if we're not on the same page on what it means to be a disciple, then we risk the spiritual version of mountain camping without a sleeping bag or making a three-hour hike take 12. So the goal of the sermon today is to try to clear things up a little bit, to give you a biblical sketch of what it means to be 
and make disciples. If we want to see Denver transformed by the gospel, and we believe that happens when gospel communities make disciples by making much of Jesus, then what's a disciple? That's what we're going to do from scripture this morning. So let's pray, ask the Lord for wisdom, and then we'll jump in so we can see Denver transformed by the beauty of the gospel and talk about what it means to be a disciple. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you just for the opportunity to come together with family and think about who you are and what you're doing in Denver and what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in the world, Lord. Um, it is a daunting task to come before your word and say, what, has, what have you been doing on mission for millennia? Lord, I pray that we would um, walk away today being more impressed with who Jesus is and more impressed with what he's called us to do so that we'd be transformed more and more into his image, Lord. I thank you for um, the opportunity for the men to enjoy one another off at man camp. I'm sure some of them are struggling to wake up and make coffee even at this moment. Um, I thank you for the, all the people who have served to make that just a joy and a possibility. Uh, in your name I pray, amen. So what's a disciple? How do we understand God's mission in the world so that we could understand the mission of Emmaus. How do we know what it looks like to make disciples? Well, when you're studying any concept like this in scripture, in the Bible, the best thing to do is start with, where is that concept the most clear? And then use the things you learned from where that concept is the most clear to understand other parts of scripture that are less clear. And this kind of goes for whatever you're looking at. Start with the most clear parts so that you can then understand the less clear parts. And I think it goes without saying that Jesus and his 12 disciples are the most clear part of scripture when it comes to discipleship. In fact, that word disciple isn't used a single time in the Old Testament. And in the letters to the churches, the ones that written by Peter, written by John, written by Paul, the word disciple is actually not used at all. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, those first five books of the Bible of your New Testament, it's used over 260 times. I feel like it's like God kind of screaming at us, look, look at Jesus, that's how you know what my mission looks like. Jesus making his 12 disciples is the most clear part of scripture that will help us understand where else God was on mission and where else God is on mission today. So if we start with Jesus, if we start with the basic concepts around discipleship from Jesus himself, from the parts of scripture that are very clear on discipleship, then we can actually begin to see how God has always been and is still making disciples. And it might look a little different through the years, but God has always been on mission to transform the world by the beauty of the gospel. And God has always been making disciples who make other disciples by making much of Jesus. So we're going to start with where Jesus is making disciples so we can begin to understand from all of scripture what, what is the mission of God in discipleship. Uh, Bridget said I should warn everybody. Uh, we're going to be kind of cruising around our Bibles. We've got a handful of passages to look at, and then this isn't normally how we do this. We usually just like camp on one and sort of walk through it together. Uh, but we're trying to get a big picture view of God's mission in the world. So we're, we're going to go fast, and we're going to hit a bunch of scriptures in the process. So we'll start with just a definition. What, 
what is a disciple? And you've got it on your sermon handout, but a disciple is someone called by God to look like or image God for the benefit of others at a great cost to themselves. Someone called by God to look like or image God for the benefit of others at a great cost to themselves. And we'll kind of work through scriptures that pick apart each one of those sections. So let's start with Jesus making disciples so we can better understand the mission of God all over our Bibles. Look at the first verse on your sheet, Matthew chapter four. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Immediately. I feel like we take this a little bit for granted. Like some guy just walks up and says, hey, um, quit your job and follow me. And they don't even hesitate. I mean, it sounds like a little bit crazy, like this would be real. How do, how do we kind of just like pass over that? And it seems unrealistic. So maybe that's, maybe that's why I wasn't so good at the door-to-door thing. I should have just knocked and been like, hey, church, me, let's go. Which one? I'll tell you on the way, you know? So is that, that's probably not what we're supposed to learn from that passage. There's a small caveat in Matthew that's important to understand this. The author of the gospel knows who Jesus is and tells us right before this story. He says that this very child, this very person is God. That's why I put Matthew 123 on your sheet. It says, behold, the virgin shall shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now this makes sense. This, this response, this immediate of leaving jobs and family much, much, much more reasonable. It's God himself calling these disciples. God shows up and says, hey, this is what's going to happen. You're going to follow me. And if we think about that, if we think about that in the rest of our Bibles, this happens all the time. Abraham is a really good example. Um, this is in Genesis. It's on your sheet. It's the very first book of the Bible. Look what it says in Genesis 12. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, leave, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. Immediately. It's, it's all kind of casual like Matthew Follow me, Abram. Leave everything you've ever known in your life. And then verse four says, so Abram went. No argument, no discussion. Abram just follows God when God calls him. This is from the very beginning, God on mission, making disciples in the first book of the Bible. And another interesting parallel, just like with Jesus, God doesn't even tell them where they're going. He just says, hey, uh, don't worry. Uh, we're going to go to the land that I'll, sh- I'll show you eventually. We'll get there. You just have to trust me. This is God calling his disciple from the very beginning. This is God on mission in order to transform the world at the very, very beginning of our Bibles. Now, the nerdy Bible person in me wants to kind of go off into a journey in the Old Testament. 
and show that their God shows up and calls his people to be disciples all over the place. Um, we have this all over the Old Testament. God, God even describes the nation of Israel, a nation he called instead of other nations. So it's an interesting concept that even the nation is called in the same way that other disciples are called. You know, I think about Jonah who said no, that didn't really work out for him so well. So he eventually said, yes, you got Isaiah, you got Ezekiel, you got all the prophets. There's so many ways that God shows up in the Old Testament and says, hey, this is what I need you to do. And they go and immediately follow him. But we only have an hour or less. So the pastor part of me knows that you guys don't want me to trace all of that over the next few hours. But the point is really simple. God has always been calling people to be his disciples. Jesus called people to be his disciples. And today, right now, God is still on mission calling people to be his disciples. Look what Paul says to the churches in the super popular verse uh, that we joked about in the pre-service meeting. It says Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You're a disciple. You are called by God. You're part of the mission of God because you're called by God to image or look like God for the benefit of others at a great cost to yourself. God is still on mission. So then what does it mean to look like or to image God? Why do I say that being a disciple means we look like or we image God? Look at what Jesus says in John 13. Uh, Just look at verse 35. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, love each other. That's how people will know that you're my disciples. You'll love people. And that hasn't changed. Look at what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. It's on your sheet in Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. There's God's call to which you've been called. And what does that look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So love God and love neighbor. That's what God calls his disciples to. So what does that have to do with look, looking like or imaging God? And this, is, this part is like super important. This has everything to do with all those little details in Leviticus and Numbers and those books in the Bible that we don't super look forward to when we have, every time we start a Bible reading plan. The whole point of loving God and loving neighbor, the whole point of the law, the command in the entire Bible is so that we would look like God. The whole point of loving God and loving neighbor and every little tiny detail in the law is so that we would look like God. Think about it. What would it actually look like if someone were to follow every single law of God perfectly? What would it actually look like if there was a person that could perfectly love God and perfectly love neighbor? It's Sunday school answer time. It would look like Jesus. It would look like Jesus. God calls us to love him and love our neighbor because that's what it means to be transformed into the image of God. That's what it means to look like Jesus by the beauty of Jesus. Look at what Romans 10 44 says on your sheet. It says the end or the goal of the law 
It's a very specific word that's talking about the very end. The goal of the law is Christ. Jesus is the goal or the end of the law. Or as Hebrews would say, he's the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus is what it would look like if a person were to perfectly image or look like God on this earth. And I feel like I said a bunch of different things there. So here's a, hopefully a simple summary. Disciples are people called by God to look like or image God because that's what it means to love God and love neighbor. Disciples are people called by God to look like or image God because that's what it means to love God and love neighbor. And this is the beautiful part about this is God calls us to image him or look like him, not for ourselves, but for the benefit of others. That's why a disciple is called by God to look like or image God for the benefit of others at a great cost to yourself. So if Jesus was the, if Jesus was the goal of the law, if Jesus is the exact imprint of God, then of course, Jesus benefited others while he was on this earth. But that's, that's not new. That's actually always been God's mission. That's always been how God has been doing it. Look at the way God called Abraham in Genesis on the, on the other side, on the first page of your sheet. He says, I'll make you a great nation. He tells him to leave everything. He calls him. He says, I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. So that you would benefit others. The same goes for Israel, the national disciple of God in the Old Testament. It's always been God's plan to call his disciples to look like him or to image him for the benefit of others. That's why, that's why you are called by God. That's how you're the mission of God to transform Denver. God has called you to look like him for the benefit of others. Look at how Jesus explains that to his disciples in John 13 under the for the benefit of others heading. He says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so I am. Jesus is like, look, I'm in charge. I'm actually God. But then he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is saying, I served you, therefore you are to serve each other. You're to look like me for the benefit of of others. That's the whole point, which is interesting. Paul, he's writing to the church in Corinth. He basically says the same thing to the church. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 15. He says, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's a kind of crazy verse. If someone were to come up to you and ask, why did Jesus die on the cross? Would you answer it with, so I could be less selfish? Is that where we would go? That's exactly what Paul says. Paul says, Jesus died so you don't live for yourself. Jesus died so the disciples he called would look like or image God by living for others, by benefiting others instead of themselves. That's why Jesus told 
his disciples that a servant is not greater than his master. If God, the creator, could come down to earth and live and serve others, then when God calls you to image him, then that's what you will do is live for and serve others. That's why disciples are people called by God to look like or image God for the benefit of others at a great cost themselves. And I think that's, that's kind of intense. And Jesus doesn't really sugarcoat the difficulty of this either. It, it, it actually comes with a great personal cost. Look what he says in Matthew 16. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, that's what living for others, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to be willing to give up your life. And the nice thing is there's no one threatening our lives. And I'm very thankful for that. I would like to keep it that way. There's no one threatening our life in that way. But how many chances to live for others threaten your weekend? How many chances to live for others threaten your Sunday morning or threaten your evening? I mean, if we're not, if we're not willing to give up our time, are we really being a disciple? Are we really imaging God for the benefit of others? I mean, that's hard. And I, I do want to talk about how this is really a possibility. And it's a lot of what we talked about last week, but, but it actually gets a, a little bit harder before it gets better. So, so hang with me. Some of his disciples followed him. Jesus's whole life was living it to give himself for others. Some of the disciples followed him, but others in the life of Jesus, others who Jesus healed, others who Jesus fed, other who Jesus gave himself for, nailed him to a tree. And that's why discipleship comes with such a great cost to ourselves is not only do we give up our lives, people will often respond terribly when we do. And not everyone. I mean, that's a big part of why this family is such a joy. We do want to serve each other and it's a huge blessing, but, th but this isn't how everybody responds. That's what Paul is trying to tell us in 2 Corinthians 2. It's another verse on your sheet. He says, for we, people who are called by God, are the aroma of Christ to God, which is kind of just a poetic way of saying we look like Christ. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To another, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? One group saw Christ and dropped everything and followed him, a fragrance of life. One group saw Christ and shouted, crucify him, a fragrance of death. So when you image Christ, when you give yourself for the good of others at a great cost to yourself, sometimes people will still respond with crucify him. Which is why I feel kind of the angst behind Paul's question at the end of that verse. Who is sufficient for these things? Paul's kind of asking the same question we might be thinking. How in the world is real discipleship even possible? 
How can disciples be people called by God to image or look like God for the benefit of others at a great cost to themselves? Who's sufficient for this? And the short answer is really nobody. It's not possible with man. But with God, all things are possible. That's why we, we started with the vision last week. We desperately need to see the beauty of Jesus or we'll never be transformed into the image of Jesus. Discipleship is kind of crazy, but we have a powerful gospel, a beautiful gospel that gives, gives us a gift, gives us the perfect life of the perfect disciple, Jesus himself. So God loves us even when we don't perfectly image him. And we have a beautiful gospel that tells us that Jesus rose from the dead so that we could have help but the very spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity dwelling in us so that we would have the power to be his disciples. And we have a beautiful gospel that kind of, sh that shows us where all of this is heading, that shows us a brand new creation where everyone perfectly images God for the benefit of others. This is why we say it's the beauty of the gospel that's gonna transform you because apart from that gospel, there is no way you'll be called by God to look like or image God for the benefit of others at such a great cost to yourself. The gospel is the power we need to see Denver transformed. And our mission is to fill the city with gospel communities who make disciples by making much of Jesus. So at the beginning, I talked about baptism and evangelism, living life on life, seeking justice in Denver. And I asked, is that God's mission? And in a sense, yes, all the above. But that's going to look very different for every single person that God calls to be a disciple. Think about this. How many new parents give up weekends to serve and love their child at their own personal expense. You image God by loving your child and giving up things for that child. And someday you're going to have to teach that child how to do exactly the same thing. That's you being a disciple. You know, think about at work. Are we motivated at work to benefit ourselves? Or do we think about other people and think, how, how can I serve and image God to them, not to benefit myself, but to benefit them? That's an opportunity for you to be a disciple and image God to the people around you. You know, I think about the life on life concept. There's a lot of really wonderful things about that. But, but how many of us go out to see someone who needs a friend and maybe needs, maybe needs some extra time. Maybe we need to sacrifice something from ourselves so that we can spend more time with that person, so we can love that person, so we can image God well at, at, our, at, at our own sacrifice. That's you being a disciple to that person. You know, and I think there's a lot of conversation around justice. There's a lot of conversation around broken systems in Denver, in our country. 
if there's an opportunity for us to learn more about that so we can change things for our neighbors here in Denver or even in America, if there's an opportunity for us to have an awkward conversation at the expense of ourselves so that we could serve others and make real change, that's being a disciple. That's real discipleship. Here's the thing is it's going to look different for you. It's going to look different for every gospel community you're in. And it's going to look different for every church. But at the end of the day, we are all called by God to look like or image God for the benefit of others at a great cost to yourself. And as I think about Emmaus, I think about all the wonderful things we do within our gospel communities. I think, how can we grow in imaging God for the benefit of others as we are disciples and desire to make disciples? I think one of the things some we could ask ourselves that would maybe, maybe grow us in that is, how do, we, how do we treat others outside of our group like the family we treat inside of our group? How much better could we treat others like family? How do we look for ways to serve the city? I think we serve each other super well. How do we look for ways to serve others outside of our group and image God to others? Another is how often do we pray for and look for ways for the spirit to actually make more disciples? And this is something I want the gospel communities to think about this week. I'll send the gospel community leaders some questions, things that you can reflect on is how could I image God for others, for the benefit of others at a cost to myself? And I think that's a question you can ask with your GC as a whole. How could we image God for the benefit of others at a cost to the group? And this is, this is the important question. When that cost doesn't seem worth it, how does the beauty of the gospel transform me so I desire to image God? And I'll send those out to the GC leaders. Um, so we'll, we'll send that out. But we have to be motivated by the gospel or our mission will never succeed. We're called to be disciples. This is God's mission. But the good news is that we don't do that alone. The beautiful reality is that Jesus is in us and will transform us and will enable us to be disciples. And thanks be to God for that unspeakable gift, the power to make disciples by making much of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are orchestrating all things according to your great plan, Lord. Thank you that we can see you work from the beginning of time, uh, ultimately, in your son and, and now as part of his body in the church, Lord. You, you are on mission to transform this world by the beauty of your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would, we think about how difficult or as we think about situations in our life where we could reflect or image you better, Lord, I pray our first instinct would be to turn to the gospel so that we'd have a fresh motivation and more peace and more joy in who you are. So this would be something we desire. I thank you for this community. I thank you for the opportunity to serve you here in Denver. It's a blessing to me and to so many others. Uh, thank you for just, just the joy of man camp this weekend and, uh, and the fun that was for me. And uh, I'm sure it's for the men who are still there. Uh, in your name I pray. Amen.